How do you respond to your kids' OCD behaviors? In this episode, I share lessons from my dog trainers that you can immediately apply as you help your child get to the other side of OCD. So please listen and learn, even if you're not a dog person. Are you the parent of a college-age kid with OCD? Welcome to the OCD Power Parenting Podcast. Here, you'll find information to help you launch your child into a purpose-filled, meaningful adult life. You can go to bed at night with the certainty that you are doing everything in your power to reconnect with the amazing person your child is, release your child from the grips of OCD, and reinvent a more hopeful tomorrow. I'm Dr. Vicki Rackner, your host. I share my experience as the mother of a child diagnosed with OCD when he was in college, as a physician, and as a coach, with two decades of experience helping my clients enjoy higher levels of performance. Let's dive into today's episode. I'm an animal lover. For most of my life, I've had cats and fish and bunnies. When my son was in preschool, he launched a campaign to persuade me to adopt a dog. Now, even though my son's official OCD-related symptoms did not emerge until he was about 17, he popped out of the womb with determination, and he was relentless about his desire to have a dog. One day, I was on the phone with my friend Judy, and she said, I just saw the clock. I've got to go. I need to find a dog a home. Her owner died, and the neighbors have been showing up a few times a day to feed her. They said that if she doesn't have a home by the end of the week, they're taking her to the pound where she'll likely be euthanized. I felt like this was divine intervention. I said, Judy, do you think this dog would be a good fit for our family? And Judy said, I think she would be perfect. She's a seven-year-old chocolate lab and she is lovely. Well, this is how Elvira came to be part of our family. Elvira seemed perfect in every way. She was well-behaved and a joy to be around. She had this amazing ability to read people. One day, I took her to the field across the street to play catch in an open field, and I saw a young boy and his mother. The boy was approaching Elvira, and the mom was trying to stop him. I yelled to her, it's okay, my dog loves kids. The boy started interacting with Elvira, And I looked over at the mother who had tears in her eyes. I said, what's wrong? And she said, well, my son's autistic and I can't remember the last time he spoke. And there he was talking to Elvira. Well, once Elvira was with us for a few months, there was trouble in paradise. When we were out walking, Elvira started growling at dogs we passed. At first, it was a low volume, deep rumble. But over weeks, it got louder, and sometimes her lips curled. I started dreading our walks and found myself walking in places and at times when we were least likely to run into other dogs. I mentioned this to Judy, who suggested I consult with her dog trainer, Becky, which I did. She watched how Elvira and I interacted with each other. She watched us leave the house for a walk. Then she got her own dog out of the van so she could see how both dogs reacted as they walked past each other. 
Then Becky gave me her assessment. She said, you have a great dog. Elvira is very polite and very smart. I think her behavior around other dogs is an expression of fear. My guess is that her first owners were people who bought her as a hunting dog, and many of these people treat their dogs like biologic property. I could imagine a situation in which Elvira was tied up as a puppy and another dog attacked her. That's something that sets up a life of fear of dogs. Becky continued, here's why you didn't see this behavior until Elvira was with you for a while. When you adopted her, she deferred to you as the pack leader. However, you're new to dogs and you unwittingly communicated to Elvira that you saw her as the pack leader. And based on her interaction with my own dog, she is a strong alpha. Now, I can see and feel your anxiety when it came time for the walk. Elvira can feel it too. She's thinking, my pack doesn't feel safe when we're walking. I'm going to step it up. You can see why she would be growling at dogs. Fixing this is simple. You just need to step up and be the pack leader. Then Becky showed me how. I was to go outdoors first. I would feed Elvira after I ate. She would need my permission to get in and out of cars. Then Becky gave me specific exercises to make walking easier. The first step, even before I got the leash out, was to take a deep breath and tell myself, you've got this. This would replace the daily anxiety with calm. Once we were out on the walk and I saw another dog approach, I would have Elvira sit. When the dog was about to pass, I would instruct her to look at me to distract her. Then I would reward her. Things got a lot better. Well, Becky warned me that Elvira would always have fear. However, with my leadership, I could create an environment in which she could thrive and behave like the wonderful dog she was. There was a huge lesson here. I thought that the problematic behavior resided on the dog end of the leash. Becky showed me that both the problem and the solution resided on my end of the leash. Well, unfortunately, Elvira was only with us for a few years before she died of cancer, and I miss her to this day. After a period of mourning, my son launched a second Adopt-A-Dog campaign. He even went on dog rescue websites and found the dog he wanted to adopt. The dog of his dreams was a nine-month-old pup who had been with the rescue organization for most of his life. His mother and her litter of puppies were found under a van on a cold and snowy November day. They listed his breed as Mutt Pup because he was a mutt and he was a puppy. We went to meet him and decided that we would adopt him. And my son thought Mutt Pup would be a great name. Well, it was clear from the get-go that Mutt Pup was one frightened pooch. He was afraid to get in the car to come home with us from the foster family. He was afraid of loud noises. He was afraid of bikes. And he was especially fearful when he was around tall men. We thought that if we gave him time to settle in, he'd put the past behind him and see that he was safe now. That's not what happened. Yes, he got over some fears. In fact, he came to love car rides. Over time, it became clear that his biggest fear 
was being separated from me. He had separation anxiety. So Muckpup would follow me from room to room in the house. If he heard the back door open when I took out the trash, he'd run to the door so I wouldn't leave without him. He refused to leave the house without me. If my son wanted to take him on a walk, I needed to join them. One time, I got them started on a walk and then went back home. But my son tells me that when Muckpup noticed my absence, he simply sat down and refused to move forward. The only direction he would go was back to the house. And when he got home, he looked at me right in the eye, lifted a leg, and urinated on a chair. Talk about being pissed off. So how did I respond to Muckpup separation anxiety? I started adjusting my life so Muckpup didn't have to be separated from me. I accepted that my son would not be able to take Muckpup on walks alone, despite the fact that this was his dog. I accepted that I would take Muckpup with me when I went in the car. And then one gray weekend afternoon, I got the wake-up call. I left Muckpup in his kennel to go running at the high school track. As I was on the second mile, I saw a big black mass running towards me. Muckpup had escaped from his kennel opened the house door, and followed my scent to the track. He crossed busy streets, and he could have been killed by a car. Now, this was not the first time Mutt Pup got out of the house. If it was too hot or too cold to take him in the car when I went shopping, I would often come home and find him in the driveway. My neighbors called him Houdini. Mutt Pup's anxiety was running our lives. I started feeling like a hostage in my own home. Most importantly, I knew Muckpup was suffering. It was time to step up and proactively manage my dog's separation anxiety instead of avoiding it. I consulted with my vet and we made a plan. He recommended a dog trainer who specialized in treating fear and anxiety in dogs. He also gave me medication to help Muckpup get through stressful times like the 4th of July. I will never forget the day the dog trainer, Christine, arrived. She listened to my story and observed my interactions with Mutt Pup. She asked, well, what do you do when Mutt Pup gets scared or has anxiety? I said, I go to him, give him a hug and say, it's okay, you're safe. Then she offered her assessment. She said, yes, Mutt Pup does have anxiety and we can do some clicker training to rewire his brain. We can also help him to learn to relax his body and release his anxiety. However, you've got a bigger issue. You have a leadership problem. When Mutt Pup's scared and you go and hug him, you're rewarding that behavior. This reinforces the cycle. You need to step up and be the pack leader. That means remaining calm, when emotions around you are high. It means acting in a way that will help Mutt Pup learn how to manage his anxiety. This was deja vu all over again. Once again, I saw the situation in which the problematic behavior resided on the dog end of the leash. And once again, the trainer said that both the problem and the solution resided on my end of the leash. So part of the treatment was a direct intervention with Mutt Pup. She taught me how to do this clicker training. She told me to get a yoga mat and showed me how to help Mutt Pup physiologically relax. 
Christine also gave me pointers for leading with calm, assertive energy. Things changed. They got better. I have no question that the clicker training and the relaxation helped Mott Pop. However, I believe that stepping into effective leadership is the single most important intervention that turned our situation around. How do I know? Well, Mutt Pup regularly challenges my leadership. When I back down, I notice that his troubling behaviors associated with separation anxiety re-emerge. Well, my pets enrich my life and I want to enrich theirs. Two different dog trainers managing two different sets of behavioral issues told me the same thing. Calm, assertive leadership makes a difference. As a family leader, it's my job to create the circumstances that will optimize my family members' ability to evolve into the best versions of themselves. I'm a big gardener. It's fun to buy all the new plants. However, the investments I make in the quality of the soil and the efforts to weed make the biggest impact on my garden. Leadership is like investing in the soil. Both dog trainers were telling me to pay attention to the soil, create an environment in which my four-legged family members can grow and thrive, become the architect of change. Well, we all want our kids to be launched into successful, fulfilling adult lives, and OCD can threaten that dream. Your actions as a parent can either grow your child's OCD or shrink it. You can be a powerful force of healing. As I reflect on my son's OCD healing journey, I can see many of the lessons from dog trainers I've applied in my own parenting and shared with my coaching clients. And here are some of them. Lesson number one, every sentient being has a brain that's wired with both wonders and glitches. Yes, Elvira arrived with fear circuitry. Muppup's brain is wired with separation anxiety circuitry. You are here because you have a child who has a brain wiring glitch described as OCD. They have a wiring problem in which the brain offers made up unwanted thoughts or images that cause them to have 10 out of 10 anxiety. They've learned to engage in actions we call compulsions to bring their anxiety back down to baseline. And our kids are hard workers who follow through and meet OCD's demands. I already told you that my son popped out of the womb with his perseverance. Now look at his success in persuading me to adopt a dog, not just once, but twice. Dedication is our kid's superpower. Do you remember the movie Bill Durham? The Kevin Costner character said to the pitcher, Nuke, you have a million dollar arm. This pitcher had raw power. The problem was that he had no control. His fastball could wind up anywhere. Your kid has a million dollar mind. It's turbocharged. Imagine what they can do once they learn to focus and have control over the direction of their determination. Lesson number two, learn about the brains of the beings you love. Dogs think differently than people. They interpret our actions differently than a person would. In the human world, when two people arrive at a door, 
It's polite to let the other go first. It's polite to serve a dinner guest before you serve yourself. However, in the dog world, these actions had a different meaning. When I did these things with Elvira and Mutt Pup, I was telling them that they were the leaders. So learn about OCD. This is a condition shrouded in embarrassment and shame and secrecy. While it's difficult to get good statistics, it's projected that one in 40 Americans carries the diagnosis of OCD. The average age of onset of OCD is 19 years. Most parents in online communities I've joined address issues for early onset OCD. Now, I've created a community for parents of kids with late onset OCD. After all, the parenting challenges are different once your kids have car keys and credit cards. But here's the statistic that blows me away and makes me very sad. Do you know how much time elapses between the first symptoms of OCD and the start of effective treatment? It's between 14 and 17 years. So educate yourself about OCD and educate yourself about what it's like for your child to live with his or her brain. It begins with a simple question. What's it like being you? Lesson number three, your actions have consequences and sometimes they're unintended. When I first noticed the problematic behaviors with Elvira and Mutt Pup, I do what many people do. I adjusted our lives so that my dogs would be more comfortable. Elvira was growling at dogs. Well, walk her in places where she won't run into dogs. Mutt Pup anxiety about being separated from me. I'll let him be with me. Yes, I wanted to help my dogs experience a high quality of life, and it's uncomfortable living with fear of anxiety. However, when I get completely honest with myself, I could see that their problematic behaviors caused me anxiety. I avoided these circumstances that triggered my dog's fear and anxiety to make my life more comfortable, and that avoidance has consequences. I remember a patient I treated when I was a practicing breast surgeon. A PhD academic scientist came to me for the evaluation of a breast mass. I asked her what made her decide to come in for an evaluation. She said, well, my husband is complaining about the smell. That was odd. I'd never heard that one before. When I went to examine her, she had an ulcerated, oozing breast cancer that had eroded through the skin. I'd never seen anything like this before. As I was examining her, she told me about all the things she did to keep her breast clean. She was asking herself a question. What can I do to reduce the smell? The better and more obvious question was, what's causing this smell and what do I do about it? Well, this is an extreme example we often ask questions that are not the most helpful or the most useful. It's human nature to overlook things we don't want to see. We just adjust our lives to look the other way. Many parents make tweaks in their lives to avoid the problematic behaviors that might be the first clues about the OCD diagnosis. This has two consequences. First, it leads to a delay in diagnosis. 
My son had symptoms for three years before he was diagnosed, and I feel pretty embarrassed about this. Second, you could inadvertently be growing your child's OCD. In retrospect, I see how I became part of completing my son's compulsions every time I accepted his confessions or apologies. Think about OCD as a traffic circle. Your child can go around and around in these same thoughts and have a hard time finding the way out. Well, every time they complete the circle, it's easier to do the next circle. You want to make it easier for your child to get out of the traffic circle and pave new neural paths. So you know that danger often resides in the circumstances you don't know or don't see or don't want to see. Make a commitment to look into your blind spots, even when it's uncomfortable. My life has taught me over and over again that the best way to get on the other side of discomfort is to go right through it. Be willing to lean into your own discomfort triggered by your kid's OCD. Let's think for a minute about the hard work we're asking our kids to take on. We coach them to recognize their obsessive thoughts, resist the urge to perform their compulsions, and lean into the anxiety. We can model the changes we want to see in our kids. How can we expect our kids to take on the hard work of consciously managing their brains if we're unwilling to do the same work ourselves? Lesson number four, assume family leadership. In both Elvira's life and Mutt Pup's life, I saw the problem as behavior that resided on the dog side of the leash. My trainers told me that both the problem and the solution resided on my side of the leash. Now, you don't have control over your child's brain wiring. They've got OCD. However, your willingness to step up and assume family leadership may well be the single most powerful intervention in your child's life. Stephen Covey says, leadership is communicating to others their worth and potential so clearly they come to see it in themselves. This is what we can do for our kids. We can remind our kids of their gifts. We can hold out the optimistic vision of a more hopeful tomorrow when they cannot see it for themselves. OCD is nothing more than a brain wiring glitch. Imagine going to your kitchen, turning on the light and having the dishwasher start. Elvira had a fear circuit. Becky told me the switch would always be there and help me see how to avoid flipping the switch. Right now, our goal is to give your child the tools and skills to take charge of their brains in the ideal world, the obsessive thoughts become the background noise of their lives and not the force controlling your child's life. They can witness an obsessive thought drift by their conscious awareness like clouds in the sky and say, oh, isn't that interesting? My OCD monster just dished up another thought. I'll ignore it and get on with my day. One day, could we cure OCD? When I was in medical school, I was taught that we were born with all the brain cells we'll ever have. 
sneeze or drink alcohol and whoops, there go the piano lessons. Neuroscience is exploding. We have learned that the brain has the ability to change and grow. This is called neuroplasticity. I advise that you as the family leader do the simple things that promote brain health. I'll review those things in a separate podcast. This will make it easier for your kids to do the hard work of managing their minds and for you to do the hard work of assuming calm leadership in your family. However, this leads to a bigger question. We can hire electricians to fix kitchen wiring problems. One day, will we be able to cure OCD by rewiring the brain? Well, I invite you to hear the remarkable story of neuroanatomist Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor in her book or TED Talk, My Stroke of Insight. Dr. Bolte-Taylor was a Harvard scientist studying the brain. One morning, a blood vessel ruptured in the left hemisphere of her brain, and she witnessed the evolving loss of function of her left brain. On the morning of the hemorrhage, she could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any part of her life. Over eight years, she recovered all function. How did this happen? It defies our model from recovery from strokes. I believe that in your child's lifetime, we will be able to cure OCD. Until then, please remain open to the possibility that one day your child might say, OCD is the best thing that ever happened to me. It gave me the skills and tools to help me get the things I really want in life. Trust that today you have the power to help your kids evolve into the best version of themselves and live meaningful, fulfilling adult lives. This is Power Parenting. Well, thanks for stopping by. I hope that you found value in this podcast episode. Please feel welcome to share this episode with your families and others who support you, including members of your online communities. Would you like more help? I've carved out time in my schedule to take on several one-on-one coaching clients. This is for parents committed to up-leveling their parenting skills. The focus of the coaching is simple. It's to do the things in your power to help your kids evolve into their full potential. Please feel welcome to schedule a complimentary 15-minute conversation to explore whether this would be a good fit for you. I'll leave the scheduling link in the podcast notes. We'll see you in the next OCD Power Parenting podcast episode. Until that time, move from strength to strength as an OCD Power Parent. You can do this.